Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. My name is Brian Vonderpowski. Um, my wife and I, Becky, we have the privilege of serving as head elders here at Pioneer. We have two sons. One is named Brandon, um, and we have a lovely daughter-in-law who's married to Brandon. Her name's Adriana. They live near Kansas City. And we also have a son named Michael. He lives in Salt Lake City, and he's not married Michael, you're going to kill me, but in case anyone here has a suggestion for him, (laughs) we'll take them. Sorry, Mike. (laughs) I want to thank Pastor Dwight for giving me the opportunity to share some thoughts with you. Welcome to spring break 2023. When I drove in this morning, it was 17 degrees. It probably is not much better out there right now, is it? Little light snow moving around here. But I'm glad that we're here together today. Um, next week, one of my good friends, Davide, Davide Sharaba, he is going to be speaking here. He's a, a, an associate head elder. But let me tell you a little bit about uh, Davide. He texted and called me this week. He came early for first service, prayed with me. He's here for first service. He came second service, gave me an encouragement, and now he's here again for second service. He has a heart and a compassionate heart. And next week, we'll get to hear from Davide. So thank you, Davide. Before I get much further, I want to welcome the audience who can't be here today, those who are online or on the radio. You were probably tuning in expecting Pastor Dwight. (laughs) Well, he's not here. He's in Cuba with the rest of the pastors. Um, So I took one of the pastor's parking spots this morning. (laughs) But (laughs) I don't believe that it's a mistake that you've joined us. I believe God has something in store for not only you, but for us who are here in the sanctuary. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father in heaven, we've been blessed throughout this service so far, God. And we just ask as we open your word here in these beautiful promises found in Psalm 121, that you would speak to our hearts. Reveal yourself in a real way, whatever way that needs, that meets our hearts, God, reveal yourself and draw close to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So several months ago, I came across Psalm 121 afresh. You ever read something and it never hits you a certain way and it happens a lot, right? And so I studied it and I thought to myself, if anyone ever asked me to speak, I'm going to speak on that. Well, not long after that, Pastor Dwight said, hey, Brian, I'd like you to speak when we're in Cuba. And I said, I already have the topic. I'm ready to go. So I'm excited about it. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 121. And I will have the words on the screen eventually. But there's something special about using your own Bible where you can see the words on the left side. Mine is the left side of the page where you can write on it. You can make notes and personalize it. So I invite you to do that as we're going through this. But before we dig into the scripture, I'd like to share a few things that I learned um, preparing for this. First, it appears that this psalm was written by David. But it was written not in a high time. It was written during a time of uncertainty and fear. Second, if you look at the heading at the top of this chapter in your Bible, it says, mine says, a song of ascents. Do you see that there? Well, there's a a group of song of ascents that starts with the chapter before, and it goes several chapters in from here. And I was wondering, what is that about? And what I've, 
what I found out was three times a year, Israelites were commanded to come to Jerusalem for certain festivals. And now Jerusalem is located centrally in Israel, which makes it nice because no matter where you live in Israel, it's somewhat centrally located, but it's located higher up on a mountain where it's a little cooler, plants grow better. Um, it's just, a, it's just, so when you're living down in the desert or in the lower plains, you would be walking up towards Jerusalem. So let's say you and I were going to walk from Jericho to Jerusalem. I just chose a town, right? Well, we'd be walking uphill because the change in altitude is almost 3,000 feet. And not only that, it's about 16 miles to gradually get to this 3,000 feet that you'd be walking. Now, you can see this is a drawing looking from Jerusalem back towards the road that goes somewhere to Jericho. So you can see that um, we're uphill and there's downhill and you have to cross some hills and mountains and things. But within these mountains, everything wasn't necessarily peaceful. There's danger. The danger included wild animals like lions and bears and scorpions, you name it. And not only that, but there were thieves and robbers uh, lurking around. You could see another picture of what kind of the terrain looks like that you would be crossing. Um, The roads weren't paved. Um, Sometimes they were narrow. Sometimes the sandy, the rocks weren't quite right. And you could turn an ankle or you could fall down the side of the mountain. So it was very dangerous. So that's the reason pilgrims going to Jerusalem usually traveled together. Also situated on some of these, these mountains, you know, I'll have a picture of it here, would be places, what the Bible would call temples or high places, dedicated to pagan gods and false worship, offering their solutions to life's issues. So these traveling groups would often sing psalms antiphonally. We heard the choir when Brenton said, hey, I would start singing and they'll, they'll respond. I was a little worried they weren't going to respond, you know, when he said that, but they were right on it strongly, right? Well, the same thing with the pilgrims. As they were going, they would sing psalms, these psalms, like Psalm 121. Um, a few weeks ago, my wife and I um, went to a Chris Tomlin concert with some friends, and the audience joined together in these songs and I think I've heard almost every one of them in second service. So I felt like we were just worshiping together and we're singing along. It was beautiful. And I especially loved it when he came to this song called Holy Forever. The first stanza goes like this. A thousand generations falling down to worship, into worship, to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all who've gone before us and all who believe will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. The pre-chorus says, your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. And then the chorus starts, and he said, I'm going to sing the first part, and you sing the second part. And the first part, he would say, is, and the angels cry. And we would say, holy All creation cries, and we'd say, holy. So, we're going to become pilgrims right now, okay? We're imagining, and we are pilgrims. We're looking for the heavenly country, aren't we? So we're going to try this together. Now, you're not going to leave me hanging, right? And my friend Dennis, who sits right there, he saves me seat every Sabbath. 
Dennis, you're going to sing too, right? All right, okay. So let's try this together. The words are going to be on the screen. And it goes like this. And the angels cry, holy. All creation cries, holy. You are lifted high, holy. Holy forever. Hear your people sing, holy. To the King of Kings, holy, you will always be holy, holy forever. Isn't that beautiful? It, it, it makes you take your eyes off of the problems of today and put your eyes on the God who's able, doesn't it? Yeah. Let's dig into the text. Let's open your Bible, Psalm 121, verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From when comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You can imagine the pilgrim here lifting his up. He's on his, his eyes. He sees the hills in front of him and all the danger that's lurking there. And he, he sees a temple there that's offering solution to those dangers. But he says... Where's my help coming from? When was the last time you were stressed over for a situation in your life? (laughs) It could have been today, yesterday, and you too were crying out, where's my help going to come from? But the psalmist answered and says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, the creator God. And a lot of us, you know, the, the devil offers a million solutions to our problems, right? But every one of them makes the situation eventually worse, doesn't it? But we have a solution in the creator God. Now, other scholars say when this term, I will lift up my eyes, is used other places in the Bible, it means you lift your eyes past what everything you're seeing here and you look to God because that's where your eyes are ultimately lifting. So in that case, the pilgrim could be saying, I see all the dangers I know what's going on, but I'm going to Jerusalem to meet my God. I can see it in my mind's eye. And we're encouraged, too, because today we have the same problems. But sometimes um, we have an answer to this. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are what? They're eternal. They last forever. We focus our eyes to the, above those hills. Let's go to the next verses. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, no one, if you, if you caught that, the first two verses is that I will lift my eyes to the hills where comes my help. But suddenly there's a change in writing here. There's no longer the person saying my or I. It's saying he will not allow your foot to be moved. He he who keeps you will not slumber. And the the commentators were suggesting that perhaps perhaps the first pilgrim who's singing the song on the way up is expressing 
where's my help coming from? And he knows the answer. Of course, God is there able to help, but there's still a little bit of uncertainty in there. And then the others join in and say, let me tell you about the God that, that you're, that's able. And then that person comes in and encourages the first person with the question and starts describing all these beautiful attributes of God. Isn't that, don't you sometimes need people who encourage you in your walk with God too? And here they are. The one starts it and the other one is singing back and saying, let me tell you about the God that you're going to be uh, with. Um, the word here for, well, you'll notice here, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you, the word keep in the Hebrew is shamar. And it's used six times in the, fo- in the final six verses. The Bible often repeats itself so you can understand. Keep, preserve, keep, preserve. Don't forget it. I'm trying to get through. The word slumber here is a nap. So we could read it as though he will not slumber. And the God who keeps Israel, he's not going to slumber nor have a sleep that lasts the whole night. Because we serve a God who doesn't get tired, who watches us 24-7. If someone asked me to stay up all night and watch, I'd get sleepy. But God never tires. He is our keeper. Isn't that good news? In preparation for this sermon, I met with Rahel Wells, an associate professor here of Hebrew Bible at Andrews, because I wanted to understand a little more about the background of the Hebrew and some more of what I could learn. And she, she provided some beautiful insights to me found in the Hebrew. But even more importantly, she reminded me that some of you may be going through trials in your life right now that are almost too much to bear. And when you see these promises like that, you, you say, okay, I see them, but I don't feel them. And so uh, it may f- be feeling like God's taking a nap in your situation. <laughs> I'm praying, and where are you, God? I don't see your hand moving in my life. I don't understand. I don't know why God doesn't appear to act whenever we need him and where we feel we need him to act. I don't understand it. I don't understand why sometimes he heals people And sometimes he doesn't seem to heal people. I don't understand it. But I know one thing. His word never fails. God has written your name on the palm of his hand. And the pain that strikes your heart strikes his heart first. He is your keeper. Believe it and pray the promise back to him. Hold him to his word. He is your keeper. I want to tell you about one of my closest friends. Friends, uh, Bruce Wren, a retired Andrews professor. I know many of you know him. He's a former teacher of mine, taught me marketing back in the day. I've said this many times, but when I grow up, I want to be like Bruce. In December of 2010, Bruce was diagnosed with an incurable sarcoma cancer. Prior to this, Bruce, Bruce watched his father and then later his sister die from the same thing. In 2010, with the existing treatment, the average survival time for somebody diagnosed with this cancer was only 19 months, with only 25% of the patients living two years. By God's grace, Bruce is still alive today, (laughs) 12 years later. (laughs) But you know what? He's not cured. 
I have watched him fight and suffer over these years. And so have many of you. We prayed for him. But yet, one of his favorite verses is found in Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me, my, hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Bruce likes to say that if he's holding on to God's with his right hand, because God's offering his right hand, then he's, he cannot hold on to the things of the world with his left hand, which is his weaker hand, and so they fall out. I kind of like that. So he's holding on to God, and things just drop off over here. Just a couple days ago, I received the following text from Bruce. I started this journey with God impressing me to read Psalm 112, verse 7. We'll see it here. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And then Bruce continued, and the truth of that verse continues to give me peace and courage through all my ups and downs, twists and curves, bad news days and good news days. As my motto says, I don't believe in bad news. Bad news is just good news before it's conversion experience. I like that, don't you? I'll say that again. (laughs) I don't believe in bad news. Bad news is just good news before its conversion experience. He finishes by saying, have a blessed day. You think that's it? All right, great. No, I'm on my way to get my infusion bag removed and talk with my oncologist about the results of the CT scan I had last Thursday. Oh, and by the way, the results weren't great. And he texted me uh, later saying, Well, another year, another new opportunity to learn about advances in oncology. (laughs) Sounds like Bruce, right? (laughs) But no matter what the twists and turns, Psalm 73 remains true. You hold me by my right hand. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Just a, a quick note here. Did you see this, this worship bulletin? Isn't that beautifully done? See the shade on the right hand? Brittany Doyle is our graphic artist, and she helped arrange this for us. She did an incredible job. I thought only Pastor Dwight got things like this when he preached, but I thought, this is really awesome. And by the way, we have an incredible team who's up there and here serving us week by week, don't we? Gadiel is leading us there. We have Micah doing the PowerPoint. Sherry's there. Richard's up there. And there's a guy that I just met, and I don't know his name, but he's the guy who says I fall asleep sometimes in church. You're doing a great job up there, too. We have a great team. (laughs) But back to our verse. It says he's your shade at your right hand. I wondered, what about my left? Why only my right? (laughs) And then as I studied it a little more, I found out Hebrew warriors, when they went into battle, they would carry a shield in their left hand to fight off the enemy and a sword in their right hand. But what that meant is that their right hand was exposed to an attack from their right side. So what they'd do, they'd try to arrange their forces in a way that there would always be a friend on the right side. And so if I'm fighting and I see the shadow of my friend on my right hand, I know I'm safe. 
I'm just wondering, are there any vulnerabilities where you're feeling you don't have shade? (laughs) I know in my life there are, but I have good news for you. There's a friend named Jesus. (laughs) He intimately knows you. He knows your vulnerabilities, and he offers to stand beside you. He's your keeper, and he will cast shade on your whatever your right hand is. That's good news, isn't it? The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. Remember when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt and they were in the desert and it was hot? God came to them as a pillar of what by day? Of cloud. Casting a shade, cooling them down. You know those hot Michigan summer days when it's humid and, pe- and you think of a day like freezing today, you can't even remember the days like that. And you go to the beach and it's hot and you see people lining up near the asphalt concrete and you're going, what are you doing? You should be near the water, but they're all trying to get a little bit of shade from those trees, right? Because it matters. It's cooler in the shade. Well, when the heat turns on in our lives, we have a God who casts shade in our lives to bring the temperature down and bring peace to our lives. And the same thing at night, when we're cold and we're uncertain, he becomes a pillar of fire at night to warm us. And there's not a time where the pillar of, there is no pillar. I can imagine you're in the desert and the pillar of fire there is at night and then it's slowly starting to heat up and does that fire just slowly calm down and then suddenly, soon this pillar of cloud starts forming and then as it gets hotter and hotter, the cloud puts that shade and then, the, and then he starts going. I don't know how it looked, but our God never takes a rest. He always is providing shelter for us 24-7. And finally, the last part of the psalm, it says, the Lord shall preserve your going out and you're coming forth from this time forth and even more. Um, he shall preserve, I'm even missing a part of that. I think I missed it. But it says, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. In the Hebrew, the soul means not only your spiritual soul, but it means your mental and your physical and every part of you. The promise says he will preserve your soul from now and forevermore. There's not a time that he's, he's going to stop preserving your soul. When you leave and you go to work, you go to your class, you come home, it's a constant keeping, a constant preserving. So I want to um, share an experience that we had and I had in my life and in my family's life where there was a very vulnerable experience that, that would tie to this scripture. It, it's where I experienced God's shade and his protection on my right hand. My youngest son, Michael, is a surfer. You didn't know that you could surf in Lake Michigan, did you? (laughs) Well, you can when the weather's bad. People drive from Indiana, they come from all over to surf our shores. You can see Michael there surfing Lake Michigan. On July 18, um, 2018, my wife and I were awakened by a call from our son. He was calling us from his room in our house. And we were, what? What we found out is he was slowly losing consciousness. So my wife went first, and then I followed. And we immediately called 911, and we followed the ambulance to Lakeland and St. Joe Hospital. And after a series of tests, we found out that while surfing, Michael had suffered an injury 
that caused what's uh, uh, referred to as a subdural hematoma, sometimes referred to as a TBI or a traumatic brain injury. The brain begins to bleed, in this case, slow bleed, and it causes a pooling between the brain and the skull, and it puts incredible pressure on the brain that can cause brain damage or even death. Um, the pressure on the brain becomes so strong that when your heart is pumping, it's, the pressure of your heart isn't strong enough to provide blood to your brain, and then eventually your brain dies. And so we were there in the hospital, and we were going through a bunch of things and praying, and we were standing by Michael's critical uh, care bed, and it appeared that things were starting to get a little better. He could actually communicate a little with us when all of a sudden it all started turning the wrong way. Nurses started scrambling. People started yelling for help, and they escorted us slowly just outside the door, just into the hallway, inches away from where our son was. Becky looked into my eyes, and she whispered, Oh, honey, oh, honey. And she buried her face into my chest. And in that moment, I didn't know what to do or what to say, and all I could whisper back to God was, Please don't let my son die. Please don't let my son die. I didn't feel God there, but the God who never slumbers nor sleep, he, my keeper, he was at my right hand. So Michael was placed into a medically induced coma and given a paralytic drug so he wouldn't move as the surgeon performed a craniotomy. That's where they, would, they remove a part of his skull and they actually put it in a freezer. That thing can stay in there for two years and be re- reattached. They call it a flap. It doesn't, that's what they did. They removed it, and then they were able to stop the flow of blood. They removed the pool, pool blood and stopped the bleed. And the doctor then sutured the skin back together, and, um, but didn't put the, the skull piece back, so it provided room for the brain to swell and expand, so there's some, it helps with the pressure. Um, that's when you all came through. See, there's Michael in our, our room. That's when you all came through. People started praying. <laughs> My church family was praying. They were sending promises. They were feeding us and just loving on us. Students playing basketball in Johnson Gym stopped to pray for us. <laughs> churches, other churches began to pray. You could feel the presence of God. Something changed in Michael's ICU room. It became like a church in there. I could feel the presence of God. We put Bible promises up all over the room in pictures of what Michael looked like. Pastor Jose and Pastor Ben put together a beautiful outdoor um, prayer session for Michael's friends. They invited, um, the, the surfing community was invited, and there were people that were there who had never prayed before together. And Pastor Ben And uh, Pastor Jose led them into learning how to pray for Michael. It's beautiful. Um, Our pastors anointed Michael, cared for us, they visited us. Becky and I began staying in shifts over the next few days. Well, she would take the overnight shift, and I'd go home for a little bit, and then I would take part of the day shift, and then we'd meet again. But we'd never want to miss the 5.30 a.m. visit from Dr. Sikorsky. Because we hung on to his words like, what's the next step? What's happening? What do you see? 
And then we would stay for the 7 a.m. shift change at the ICU where the entire staff would come and stop by Michael's room and then they would talk about Michael and what's next and what we see and, and, and we never wanted to miss that. Each morning as I drove to the hospital, I would listen to a chapter of the book of Matthew um, read, read out loud and I'd play gospel songs. And I would usually end my, uh, my list of songs as I'm getting closer to a song entitled Revelation 19. And it goes like this. Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power to the Lord our God. For the Lord our God is mighty. The Lord our God is omnipotent. The Lord our God, he is wonderful. And the altos would jump in. All praises be to the King of kings and the Lord our God. He is wonderful. And then the sopranos would jump in even higher. Hallelujah. And they would hold it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know. Hallelujah. And they would keep that going. And then the tenors, they would sing. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory. Honor and power. He is wonderful. And I would turn this music up, and then they all would start singing together. And I would start jumping in on every one of the parts. I'm singing the high part, and the tenor part, and the other part. And as I'm pulling into the parking lot, I have tears streaming down my eyes. Because not that my son is fighting for his life, but I serve a God who is all-powerful and who is able. My keeper was doing his job. The team was constantly monitoring the pressure in Michael's brain through what's called an ICP monitor, intracranial pressure monitoring machine. A few days passed when the doctor approached me and said, I'm a little worried because his pressure isn't coming down. Now, I can take a little more of his skull off, but I really don't want to have to do that. And so you can imagine that stress level starts. <laughs> and so what I did, he left. And I was alone in the room with just Michael. And I put this pressure monitor in front of me and Michael behind me and I sat in a chair and I prayed. And you see, if you went into, into this room and you made any noise, his pressure would go up. Any light would cause his pressure to go up so they'd pull all the drapes down. Um, it was, became a quiet zone there. My wife couldn't even touch him. When she touched my son, the brain would swell. And the doctor put a sign out there, quiet. And when the nurse started talking, he went out there, you got to stop talking. <laughs> He's quiet in there. <laughs> you know, I appreciate those doctors. They put him on a cooling mat to keep his temperature down. So I'm in there by myself in this chair, and I'm staring at this pressure monitor, and the pressure monitor has to be, give a reading of below 20. And it's above 20. So guess what? I'm stressed, Right? And as I'm stressed and I'm staring at it and I'm looking at my son, I hear a voice in my head and it says, Brian, do you trust me? And so I answer, I whisper back audibly and I said, of course I trust you. And when I said that, I see the pressure starting to drop. And I like, are you serious? I'm by myself, Michael, and I'm watching this. I said, you got but then something happened. About 45 seconds later, the pressure starts going up past 20 again. And I start getting stressed. And I hear the voice. Brian, do you trust me? And of course I do. And I say it again. And when I say the word, I'm telling you the truth, the pressure starts dropping. 
This sequence went on for 45 minutes. <laughs> I couldn't believe what was happening. And a bit later, my wife came and I told her how God visited me. <laughs> that was my keeper in the shade on my right hand. Well, by the grace of God, Michael survived. <laughs> we cannot thank the hospital team enough. We felt so loved by them. Some of them worship right here in this church with us. One of them, where is that? Pansy, are you over there? Pansy, stand up. Pansy. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> you can see the monitor. I took a picture of it. It says 16. <laughs> it stayed there eventually. This is like my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I have come. This is like a mile mark in my life right here. And if you can go through some slides, you can see Michael, the poor fellow, lost part of his head. But look at those stitches. He took that whole piece out, right? Go ahead. Dr. Sikorsky, PA Angie, love it. Go ahead. Dr. Tamungde, another member of our church here. You got Doug, another nurse there with Michael. Go ahead. Another one of our favorite nurses, along with Speech Path, PT, all these people just loved on us. Go ahead. And there we are. This was a great day. This was the day we left. <laughs> and these people became our family. They were as happy to, to, on Michael's results, I think, as we were, you know. And then one more, another picture. We went to Chicago to the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, incredible place. They did incredible things for Michael there. But he did so well, they kicked him out in a week, praise God. This is the kick-out picture, us in front of there. We're going home, okay? Um, and one more. And there's Michael today. <laughs> Amen? And isn't his head beautifully shaped now? <laughs> He's back, right? Oh, man, I'm so thankful for what God has done in, in our lives. Um. I lost my place. Okay. One evening, we're getting closer to the end now. One evening, a group of ladies came to pray with us in the hospital. And Becky looked at them and said, even if Michael doesn't make it, I know this, that he has placed his life in Jesus' hands. And I will see him again. She compared the difference between how our boys share their faith. Mike, uh, our son Brandon, he's preached up here before as a, as when he was a, a head of the, the student association, vice president of a spiritual, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. And Michael, on the other hand, you don't see him preaching up here, but he does his things down low. He hands out things at, the, at different places. He invites people incredible of his relationship and how he shares his faith. Later that evening, Becky and I talked about Michael's faith and his eternal security in Christ. The next, the next morning, as I was making my 5 a.m. journey to the hospital, I put my Bible app on and I began listening. Yes, the day before was chapter 8, now it's chapter 9. And, and in an NIV, this is what I heard. Jesus stepped into a boat crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And then, and then it kept going. 
And then all of a sudden I go, what did I just hear? And I went back and I said, are you kidding me? I rebound it, played it again. A paralyzed man? My son's paralyzed by medicine. Lying on a mat? My son is lying on a mat. And what does Jesus say? Take heart, son. Your sins are what? Forgiven. The previous night, God heard my wife talk about my son's salvation. And the next day, my keeper gave me assurance that Michael's sins had been forgiven. As a parent, I could have had no other gift. There's probably nothing worse in this world than a death of a child. But one thing is worse if your child loses eternity. This was the best gift we could have, I could have received from Jesus. There were two disciples on their way back from Jerusalem late Sunday afternoon to their homes in Emmaus. The whole weekend, they couldn't believe what's happening. Jesus was nailed to the cross. They, they were confused all Sabbath. He rested in the tomb. And on Sunday morning, he heard, they heard reports that there was a resurrection. Women saw angels. Women saw him. There was confusion. And they were walking back, sad and depressed, discouraged. They didn't know what was going to happen. And the Bible says, but Jesus himself began to draw near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And Jesus asked them what they're talking about and why they're sad. And after a conversation that begins strangely with these two disciples saying, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't have a clue? (laughs) They're talking to Jesus. They don't know it, right? (laughs) He patiently went through the Bible and and explained all the scriptures concerning himself, beginning at Moses and the prophets. And I started thinking, for a second, put yourself in Jesus' place. You were just resurrected. You appeared to Mary, some disciples. You also said, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father. So you made a trip to your father to see if it was ratified and it was ratified and you returned back to this earth. Where would you go? I would go to like where there are people, like a bunch of them, maybe the temple. Not our God. He saw that there were two disciples walking by themselves discouraged. And he showed up and walked beside them without them even knowing it. Isn't that an awesome God? As they approached one of their homes, it looked like Jesus was going to keep going further. But they invited him in, and of course he accepted. As he sat at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. The desire of ages says, as he lifted his hands, he prayed, and they saw the nail prints. (laughs) And the Bible says, then their eyes were open, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? When that, can you imagine Jesus coming to your home and you get to have that experience with him? But what if these disciples hadn't invited Jesus? What if they said, all right, peace. And they just let him keep walking. They would have missed the blessing that's forever recorded in that scripture. The Desire of Ages says, on page 800, had the disciples failed to press their invitation, they would not have known that their traveling companion was the risen Lord. Christ never forces his company upon anyone. His interests, he interests himself in those who need him. Gladly will he enter the humblest home and cheer the lowliest heart. Amen to that? 
But if men are too indifferent to think of their heavenly guests or to ask him to abide with them, he passes on. He never forces himself, right? Thus, many meet with great loss. They do not know Christ any more than did the disciples as he walked with them by the way. As our praise team comes up front, um, I'm so thankful for them. Christiana, Michelle, thank you for putting our team together for us. Um, I invite you to, to text a message to this number that's on the screen. You'll text the word SHADE to 269-281-2345. SHADE, and you'll, it'll open up a web page that will ask you, give you an opportunity to respond. And here's what the responses will say. I want God's shade and protection as offered in Psalm 121 to be upon me and my family. You want that, don't you? The second one, just like disciples, those disciples from Emmaus, I invite Jesus into my home every day. And then finally, I want to follow Jesus and be baptized. We normally end with a closing hymn, but I ask that they would please sing a hymn of dedication and something for us to think about it. So we're not going to join them in singing, but you'll sing in your heart. Now, if you can't control yourself, go ahead. I don't, I don't, it's okay. I don't think they'll mind. But to make sure you know what the words are so you can hear them, we're going to put the words at the bottom just so you can read them as they're singing to you. They're taken directly from the King James Version of Psalm 121. (laughs) But my question for you is, Will you invite Jesus into your home today like these disciples? Or will you let him pass on by and meet with great loss? It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the what? The shadow, the shade of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Invite him in. He will become your protector, your keeper, and the shade on your right hand. May God bless you.